Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 33. Heal your gut, heal your life. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio. Welcome back if this is your, uh, I guess, 33rd time here. <laughs> uh, this is uh, our uh, bi-weekly adventure behind the microphones. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with uh, Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you? Good. Good to hear. Yep. Well, a little, little, little tired, full moon, don't sleep very well, but yeah, I that good. Um, I'm sure for those of you listening, um, you may not necessarily be under the, uh, what is it, the spell of a full moon? Uh, but we are, and you're going to hear it in our voices. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you just do that? Uh, episode 33, we're talking about uh, healing your life and healing your gut. Um, uh, Fusion Health Radio is an opportunity for you to learn things about uh, health and nutrition from a perspective that Mo- Dr. Michael Smith here carries. Uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about uh, how you see things with regards to health. Um, I think it's a good idea to take care of everything. Uh, so in in the context of how I practice that's going to focus in on the integrative model of medicine which is uh, in my case combining traditional Chinese medicine with functional medicine evolutionary nutrition uh, things like neurosomatic therapy acupuncture well pretty much anything that works Hmm, yeah and it's uh, a whole uh, body approach and a whole uh, mind approach and a whole spirit approach if I can say that yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, last time we were at the mics, uh, we talked about something that was, uh, I don't know if it was a little bit gross or not, but it kind of freaked me out. We talked about mold. Do you want to give us a recap on that last episode? Yeah, so living in the western part of North America, uh, the Pacific Northwest, and famous for being kind of um, almost a uh, rainforest. So we get a lot of uh, mold, mildew, uh, those kind of things. So we are seeing more and more people uh, dealing with exposure to those molds. And one of the worst ones out there is uh, we call black mold. And uh, if you're around enough of the uh, airborne toxins that mold produces, it can trigger something we call CRIS or uh, CIRS, sorry, uh, CIRS or chronic inflammatory uh, reactivity syndrome. And um, it basically is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, once your immune system gets that kind of gasoline in there, if you will, its ability and likelihood to produce just random chaotic inflammation and all of the secondary damage to your body and the kind of hardwiring of your immune system towards that behavior gets pretty severe. And you can go from, you know, I just needed to spend a month in my friend's basement for whatever reason to now I can't remember my name or how to do my job or how to walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fairly comprehensive uh, conversation we had. And uh, um, I think there was even some sort of uh, action steps that people could take around what they could do to uh, deal with it in mm-hmm. their own way? Yeah, main, mainly uh, it's just dealing with the global inflammatory cascades that are going on, which uh, obviously has got a lot to do with just general uh, immune system function. So if you're concerned with that exposure at all, start with kind of the typical autoimmune diet, anti-inflammatory diet, lots of anti-inflammatory foods, uh, plant-based anti-inflammatories. Uh, if you want to get tested to find out if you actually have been exposed to those kind of mycotoxins, uh, there's not very many places that are going to have 100% really 
like for sure accurate testing, which is too bad. Uh, but that is getting better. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode, there's one guy, uh, Richie Schumacher, who's sort of the main uh, person who's doing the main leading edge research, and uh, especially on testing. Uh, and his website and his protocols are pretty much what everyone's following right now. Um, but it's super, I mean, that's probably the most complicated thing um, that anyone would be dealing with because it would take at least two years to gradually clean up the mess and restore the immune system to normal function and uh, hopefully get back to, you know, where you were a couple of years before it all started. But Right, and um, it's, to, when, you, when you just said the word there, clean up the mess, you meant uh, externally and internally as, as well, right? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that because the... The environment that people live in. Yeah, what they call the remediation of, of those buildings. It's uh, often more expensive to just try and repair them than it is to tear them apart and start from scratch. Right. But I guess it depends on the landowner. But, yeah, remediating the houses, you know, top to bottom, down to the studs, and then covered in weird toxic goo to kill off anything else that's still around. Uh, but I guess I'm thinking also just cleaning up on the inside because you need to have a lot of things that can mop up all those metabolites, uh, all the inflammatory cascades and all of the tissue waste that's just constantly being produced, which is really the the, the big wear and tear on people's health and minds and, and bodies is just that chronic inflammatory reactivity process. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, just like forest fires just going off. Yeah. Here, there, and everywhere. Uh, this is an opportunity to sort of... Uh, uh, Ask our listener if they're keen on what they're hearing and uh, if they want to share it. I mean, certainly uh, if you know somebody who's got some uh, concerns around um, any kind of health issues, uh, certainly the last episode might be one to, to pay attention to um, with regards to mold. And there's a catalog of them available up on Stitcher and iTunes and Podbean. And uh, Michael and I do this um, without any real funding, short of... Uh, sitting in front of computers and swearing at them and telling them to cooperate <laughs> to uh, to get this uh, this message out there, uh, we would like your help. If you know somebody who would be uh, a good candidate for hearing what uh, what we're talking about and what we're sharing, uh, please do share it with them and uh, send us your ideas, feedback, and um, comments, that sort of thing. You can do that through our Facebook page. Uh, just look for Fusion Health Radio there. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, how, how did you say it. Um, Extending your life? No. Uh, it's sort of basically like a little tagline, you know, heal your gut, heal your life. Right. Well, the, the word extending came to mind there because that's kind of how I see the whole thing of healing your gut is uh, extending your life. And life in the way that I see it is, um, I'm going to speak personally, not having digestive gut issues in the way that I had them in the past is very liberating. <laughs> it's very freeing. So uh, that's where the word extension comes to mind for me. Yeah, because I mean that—that that is really what happens when you start healing the your base systems like that. And you know, when I say heal your life, it's because not only are your symptoms getting better, but your inner world, your memory of yourself, your—I uh, don't know—they call that the little extra step in your pants or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Light know. in your stride. Yeah, just because you're like I, I'm doing something, it's working, um, it's consistent, and you know, I'm the one who's got my hands on the steering wheel of this process. So. I think more than anything, that empowerment of, you know, I get that I need to learn about how my body works. Okay. I get that I need to respond to that information fairly tactically or else I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I think that's, again, what, you know, people really uh, walk away with is that feeling of I took the time to learn. I took the gumption to put it into action and I received the result of that process. And that's me. I'm, I'm a rock star. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and 
uh, I can honestly say that um, being on both sides of the uh, equation here, somebody who's had, um, I don't know if they were chronic or not, but they were long-standing digestive issues for many years uh, and now not being bothered by them uh, in the same way, um, seeing how uh, vigilant I was in the past around that, that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. And now that I don't have that, uh, I mean, uh, before we came to the microphone today, I was sharing with you that I went to a bocce ball tournament with a whole bunch of Italian guys, old Italian guys yesterday. And the lunch we had, I mean, I would not have been able to eat that lunch successfully as a kid. You know, a big plate of pasta and chicken and potatoes, uh, meatballs and, you know, good uh, homemade wine, <laughs> a lot, maybe a little bit too much homemade wine, but that kind of meal would have just, I wouldn't have been able to function and think and talk to you today, let alone next week if I had eaten that. So um, to be on the, the, the healthier side of living is certainly uh, liberating, not to mention my bocce ball skills are okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could actually still throw a bocce ball after lunch. <laughs> So. Yeah, after all that wine, I don't think uh, I'd be wanting to have anything to throw at anybody. <laughs> Sit in the corner. Well, you kind of roll them, but you know, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's kind of it's like lawn bowling, only with an Italian accent. Oh, yeah, I, I'm terrible at accents, but oh well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where do you want to start with this today? Other than on a bocce ball court talking about wine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the easiest thing uh, I think for most people is to just do it as a visual thing. So you can think of your body as, you know, a sequence of events that your food goes through, or you can think of yourself as your food going through that sequence of events as the victim of the body. It depends on your mood, you know? Right. <laughs> I am the teeth. I am the pizza. I don't know. <laughs> so obviously when it comes to the first step of eating, it's going to be chewing. So yes, it is in fact true that you need to chew your food. Uh, that's obviously true of anything, but it's mostly true of any kind of complex carbohydrates because the main enzyme kind of factory in your mouth is directed towards complex starches. But I think it would be wise to make, um, that commitment to mindfulness to just, you know, at any large meal, you are going to take your time to actually, you know, be aware of the the mouthfeel of your food it adds a layer of pleasure it adds a layer of fun if you're into cooking and you like to make things you know balanced between their crunch and the smooth and the you know whatever but uh it just begins the practice of eating with respect to mindfulness now we'll come back to what might be on your plate that you're stuffing into your mouth uh in the, in the sense of choosing good food but i just thought it'd be good to do a little you know roadmap kind of journey through your gullet see how it all works mm-hmm so yeah, chew your food really, really well, um, especially if it's high starch. And once it gets into your stomach, um, obviously there's the stomach acid. Um, things that we take for granted in the modern world are astounding to me. We just assume everyone who puts the same you know meal in their mouth and then puts it in the stomach uh, is going to have the same uh, force of impact on their food. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was just thinking about your friends playing bocce ball yesterday. Some of them you said were in their seventies and eighties and getting around. Uh, as we get older, our stomach acid gets weaker. So I'm just imagining how, you know, your digestive system was tearing through your, you know, pasta and chicken and potato and meatball and wine, uh, compared to someone 30 years older than you, because obviously that big feast kind of meal, uh, which is one of the best parts about being alive. Um, we don't, we don't usually eat that much at one sitting. These guys were really packeted on there. Yeah, yeah that that's a you know, Sunday uh, thing. <laughs> and I was I was like gobsmacked at uh, the volume of food. That, you know, some of these 
they're like some of them were literally little old Italian guys, and it's like, how can you eat that much? You know, and I was joking with some of them, and I was like, hey, leave room on your plate for uh, for some plate. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because there'd be this giant heap of food in the middle. Right. They, they, they polish it all off. And then they just, you know, we were all joking about, hey, we're going to play bocce. We're going to have a nap afterward. You're right. Anyways. Yeah. So, again, as we get older, we have less stomach acid. And when you think of stomach acid, there's the idea of volume, obviously. So, if you're, you're feeling like your stomach isn't doing its job very well, uh, adding some hydrochloric acid supplements, you know, uh, things that stimulate that secretion would be a good idea. Um, because, again, we're just thinking about volume. But there's also the actual effective strength of your stomach acid. You could have, you know, one shot glass of stomach acid strong enough to take out, I don't know, a whole bocce feast. And another person would have taken five shot glasses of their stomach acid because it's so much weaker to get through even half that food. Mm. So step one of, uh, you know, heal your gut is make sure your stomach is doing its job uh, by making sure you can digest, you know, a fairly robust meal uh, with or without the stimulation of stomach acid. Uh, and if you do feel like you need that stimulation, then you need to focus on, you know, the underlying reasons why people start producing less stomach acid, uh, which I think if we get into that, we'd be here for six hours writing an entire textbook on <laughs> everything that can go wrong with your GI tract. But uh, it's just always step one. And the thing that's interesting to me about your stomach from a, call it an energetic level, is it really is your... Um, because you could call it your choix de vivre or your joy of life or your fire of life or your passion for uh, the things that you really, really love doing while you're here. Because in a way, your stomach acid is a metaphor for your passion for life. Well, I've always equated my ability to digest is um, how successfully I can actually get through the world. It's like the difference between walking down a freshly shoveled sidewalk that doesn't have any snow on it or walking through three feet of snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've walked through a lot of snow in my life. Yeah. And then when it's not there anymore, all of a sudden it's like, hey, I can do this. You know, there's no struggle. Yeah, good Canadian metaphors. So another reason why I bring up the stomach is that in Chinese medicine, from sort of the classic model of Chinese medicine, when you're taking people's pulses, if they're particularly old or frail or, you know, sick due to chronic illness uh, or other things, and this is literally from the classics, um, if you cannot find a strong stomach pulse, then you can expect them to die within, you know, days to a week. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Just because he said this word, pulses. Uh-huh. I think most people out there are listening. You're going, I thought I only had one pulse. What are oh, you talking right. about? <laughs> yeah. So Chinese uh, medicine has a perspective on uh, pulses. Uh, three of them? Is that what I heard right? Uh, so basically there's a lot of different ways Chinese medicine can describe how pulses are and where they are and, and all of that. Um, so typically you'd say your, your left wrist is going to be your heart and then your liver and then certain part of your kidneys and then your right wrist is going to be your lungs and then your spleen and stomach and then another aspect of your kidneys and or other things depending on uh, which teacher you had. So you're listening more than I guess how many beats per minute my heart's actually doing right you're not just counting you're actually well there's there's the the rate of it but then there's uh, at least 27 different inherent subtle qualities that you can feel on the pulse wow uh, in western medicine there's five or six depending on who you talk to but um so imagine that you have these you know six different locations each location could have three different levels um and then there's 27 possible pulses for each of you know, so you, there's, there's a lot, a lot of things you could find yourself feeling 
One thing that I really appreciated with that uh, my main teacher had said is that, uh, in his opinion, having like a 15-generation uh, family tradition of Chinese medicine passed on father to son, for, for him, you know, he says it's just a matter of cons- consistently reaching towards another person's body with the same uh, kind of connection to be able to listen for the same kind of information. Hmm. So if I always put my, you know, left uh, middle finger on your right middle pulse, and that finger is always listening to that particular quality of that particular organ, then perhaps on some level of intuition, um, we can pick these things up. I mean, I've literally seen uh, people who have gone to, I don't know, like the 80-year-old Chinese wizard guys that are working in some apothecary in Chinatown and, you know. They're beside the guys playing bocce. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, they, they don't even talk to you. They just take, you know, your pulse and then they tell you everything that's happened to you, you know, oh yeah, in your twenties, you drank too much of this kind of whiskey and it's not like you drank too much alcohol, but you drank this much <laughs> of this kind of alcohol. You're like, whoa. Hmm. Right. So, um, it seems to me without going too far afield that with pulse diagnosis, there is uh, a subtle kind of communication and entrainment that happens between people that's been, you know, practiced pretty much in every continent across the planet. Um, and it's all subjective. Hmm. It's just qualities that you can kind of agree on that feels kind of wiry or kind of tight or kind of soft or kind of, you know, squishy or whatever. And, you know, that just gives you another, uh, I don't know, thing to hang your thinking on. So in a way it's intuitive, but in a way it's confirmational. Uh, and in a way, sometimes it actually just changes everything that you're doing because you're going, oh, wait, if the pulse is doing that, then my other thinking needs to change to, you know. So it sounds it sounds like a much more comprehensive uh diagnostic tool or lens onto whatever it would be if you're a person who's comfortable with the sort of qualitative subjective uh aspect of confirmation right Mm -hmm. whereas with a lab test with some numbers or a dead rat or something people are usually for some reason happier you know to know that (laughs) (laughs) it's a number uh but i mean i think that's where we have to allow for the possibility that uh, maybe our right brain is potentially as useful as our left brain we just don't have a lot of experience in the western world on what that looks like mm, right well um didn't mean to sidetrack the, the whole conversation around gut health but i think that's a pretty important thing to consider about your perspective and how we mm-hmm. um how we're going from the mouth to the stomach and onwards, right? Yeah. And again, the reason the conversation went there was that there's a, an aspect of who you are and how you actually move in the world that we would qualify as your stomach chi. You know, do you still feel passion? Do you still feel creativity, curiosity? Are you still chomping at the bit to, you know, hug your wife one more time, you know, or whatever? Uh, because if you're not feeling that kind of almost visceral potency about, you know, how your life is going on the level of subtle energetics, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, on a, you know, for some reason I just thought about sitting in a waiting room. You know, I'm, I'm living my life, but I'm in this waiting room waiting to decide what I'm going to do with my life and, you know, what really matters to me and, you know, what's going to get me off this chair, you know, you know, running you know, with bright, shiny eyes towards my goal. Because mm-hmm. without that stuff, people, I don't know, people don't do well if they don't have some hunger for life. You know, this conversation might go sideways all over the place, but I have another thing that just came to mind. I've had the experience with uh, with pets, uh, with uh, a dog I had years ago. 
um, who um, the idea of bright, shiny eyes, you know, we go out for a walk, we come home, we do our thing, the dog eats, he lays down in the living room, and for some reason, I could just feel him from across the room after about an hour of just being different. So I go to check in with him, you know, he's lying there, and I go to say, like, hey man, and he's just like a lump. I'm like, hmm. And so I sort of hunker down, squat down to sort of look at him in his face, and his eyes were about as dull as it gets. Uh, they, they, there, was no, there was no zippity doodah in that in those eyes. The, 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 well, maybe not in the same way that there would have been before we had gone to the park. That kind of crazy in a dog's eye looks totally different than the crazy in a dog's eye after they've done it. Uh, but that wasn't there. It's like the lights were on, but nobody was home. And, um, you know, putting my hand on his stomach or on his, I don't know, gut, belly, the large thing between his legs, <laughs> front legs and back legs, you know, his, uh, his chest, I guess, putting my hand there. And uh, it just feeling kind of weird and cold, you know, um, and knowing that he must have just gotten into something at the park. And, you know, uh, two hours later, he got up, he went outside, he did his business and he came back in and he sat back down and he was subdued for the next day afterward. And then he was right as rain. <laughs> but anyways, the whole idea about life in the eyes and digestibility relating to uh, how much um, gas you got in the tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty obvious why this is where the conversation needs to start for people, you know, because uh, you have to have a certain amount of fire in your belly to shop for the real food and to make the real food and to not reach for the crap after the real food. And uh, it, it all just revolves around that really, um, you know, it's almost like a kind of sacred marriage. You know, I will only do what I know is good for me, you know, around this part of my health for a while because... I don't know, maybe it's an experiment or maybe it's, you know, tick, tick, tick. If you don't, something bad's going to happen. But mm -hmm. So that that's just obviously your, your stomach. So the next thing that's going to happen is your food's going to fall into your small intestine where your pancreas and all of its enzymes and your gallbladder and all of its bile are going to tear your food apart. And uh, depending on how badly, and I know that's probably the least accurate word I could use. But <laughs> that's a medical term, right? <laughs> yep. How badly you've eaten. Uh, how much wear and tear you've put on your digestive system in the sense of really large meals or really complex meals or, um, yeah, just not living your life uh, fairly much intuitively with being in touch with your body, you know, because a lot of people, they, they just, you know, oh, I feel bloated. Oh, I feel gassy. I think I, you know, have been having diarrhea for a couple of days, but I'll just keep doing everything I've always done since I was a kid because that's just what we do. That's their baseline normal. And a lot of people, I mean, they, their baseline normal is, is, you know, a laboratory experiment on our species because our species obviously doesn't do well on all of those kind of diets. Mm -hmm. You know, we call it the standard American diet or whatever. But um, so from a mechanical level, obviously, you need to make sure that your bile is doing its job and that your pancreatic enzymes are doing its job and that um, most importantly, that your microbiome is actually suppressed by the strength of your stomach acid. So your microbiome, again, is all the fun bugs and critters that live inside your GI tract that uh, there's 10 times as much genetic material of them compared to the 10% that's us. Um, ick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I'm getting used to it now. But <laughs> yeah. Um, after, it, after 33 episodes behind the mic, <laughs> you, should, uh, you should be okay with talking about gut gross bugs. Yep. Um, but if they start to, if the ecology of your gut goes off, um, everything else is going to go off too. Uh, we'll come back to that. But, uh, energetically or on a subtle level, 
when I think of, you know, pancreas and bile and, and all of that stuff, and just sort of the beginning conversation with your microbiome, I think it just has to do with being as adventurous and experimental as you can with what you eat. In a, in a advent, no, okay, define adventurous. Oh, and I, mean, I was just going to say with a, you can't see my funny eyebrow movements because I was making kind of a ha 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 eyebrow joke, but... So when you're going on any kind of health kind of diet, it's usually about limiting how much you can eat. Now, that's usually true. You know, you have to get rid of the bad stuff and eat less of the good stuff. But when you're trying to think about what it is that things like pancreases and gallbladders do is that their their job is to be able to handle kind of as many different molecules as possible. So it makes sense to me that if you're trying to focus on that part of your health, it would be to have the widest ranging a uh, number of, if it's sprouts or vegetables or lacto-fermented foods or whatever, just to have um, acknowledged that you have to balance the restriction of what your do's and don'ts are in your diet with getting as many different colors, as many different flavors, as many different species as you can, because for whatever reason, they all happen to have just the right part of the puzzle to make all your enzymes. Mm-hmm. Same would be the and be aware of um, the ratio of how much cooked food to raw food you're eating. Um, you know, how beneficial like seed sprouts and bean sprouts can be if they're actually sprouted uh, and eaten more as a vegetable. So there's lots of ways that we can, you know, improve uh, pancreatic function in general. Uh, you know, there's bitters, there's obviously Chinese herbs, all kinds of other stuff. But again, with the, the, the kind of... I guess uh, the thing I'm really wanting to continue uh, expressing as we get into the conversation is if we zoom in and look at your stomach and how it works mechanically, and then we zoom out and get a sense of what its feeling tone is like in the world, then, you know, now you're really completely uh, working with that system. Same thing with your pancreas. You could take digestive enzymes, you could do all kinds of other stuff. And you could also be really focused on balancing the limit of what's in your shopping cart and how many new things are in your shopping cart, because that's always a tricky balance when you're on a restricted diet. Uh, So then when we get into heal your gut, the next part would be, of course, your microbiome. And that's a really hard thing to assess um, in the the way we would like to, because wouldn't it be amazing if we could put a little, I don't know, they actually have these pills that are cameras. Mm-hmm. And you swallow the camera and it just floats around your tummy and works its way down, taking pictures of, you know, lesions and, you know, diverticuli and maybe ulcers and stuff. Okay, so hang on. I'm no doctor, but I know that they can stick a camera up the other way. <laughs> like they can stick cameras pretty much in everything. Yeah. On a little tube. And, you know. and look around and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, this is literally like taking a, you know, a big capsule of vitamin C or something like that. It just happens to have a little tiny flashlight and a little camera. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it tumbles through your tummy taking pictures of everything. Well, that might be a little easier to, easier to stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> yep. Um, but what I would be more interested in is to have a little pill you could swallow they would actually assess the microbiome's ratio of species, concentration of species, uh, kind of rate of growth and die-off and stuff like that, as it goes all the way down your gut. And we brought this up, I don't know, probably a couple times in previous episodes, but I think, if anything, this is worth repeating. So if you look at the content of your microbiome or your gut bugs right below your stomach, you know there's going to be several hundred different species uh, in the sense of... Um, I don't know, racial 
intermixing or something like that, but lots of different species. But there's only going to be about a thousand uh, what we call colony forming units per milliliter, which still maybe sounds like a lot, but... So if our little magic camera could go down through the 20-odd feet of your small intestine and just keep sending readings back to, like, some app on your phone, okay, now we're at a half a million, you know, colony-forming units per milliliter. We're about halfway down the intestine, and the ratio is good, and the genetic diversity is good, or the ratio is crap because you took antibiotics two months ago and your, um, your microbiome is still limping around like... Um, like I took antibiotics two months ago. Yeah, well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for the save there. <laughs> I was going to go in a really inappropriate direction. But, uh, so, you know, again, that, that kind of testing would make a, a huge difference, but we don't have that right now. But if that camera did get to your average person's appendix, uh, which is where the ileocecal valve is, which is basically where your small intestine ends and your large intestine begins, but they are separate by that valve, um, at the top, just above your ileocecal valve, you're still in your small intestine, you're going to be at about a million colony-forming units per milliliter and hopefully be around 800 to 1,000 unique species. And I'm going to have to use a bad word. <clears throat> but once you go through the ileocecal valve and you get into the colon, it's literally a shit show. Mm. Um, depending on which is the fastest feeding and the fastest breeding, um, no matter what kind of stool testing you do, you're only going to be able to get a read on what's going on in the colon because it's got quadrillions of critters per or colony forming units per milliliter, right? So whatever your dysbiosis or your gut bugs may have been balanced or imbalanced above your leucecal valve, now that that you know that tissue or that feces or food to still be worked on has gone through a different environment that is so profoundly overt and and um, at such a higher volume that there's no way to tell what was going on before. It's is that because we don't have the sort of technology to to, to read that, or that um, it's just um, I don't know. So, so I mean, I just had this weird image pop into my head. So yeah, laid on me. <laughs> uh, full moon, no sleepy, not not making sense. To, uh, sorry. <laughs> so I just had this p picture of somebody walking down the street. And for whatever reason, they had uh, an umbrella and they're walking along and, and again, hey, <laughs> no sleeping. So <laughs> I'm doing my best here. Um, so imagine that person's walking along with an umbrella and there's some weird little sprinkly dust falling on their umbrella. Really obvious, really cool, really shiny, really weird. And uh, they keep walking along and then it's a nice rain shower that, you know, cleans them off. And, you know, we can all tell that if you've been walking through the sprinkler block, you're going to have sprinkles. And if you walk through the rain block, you're going to be covered in water. And the next block, which we would call your colon, it's now basically raining, I don't know, crude oil. Hmm. So no matter what, everything's going to look like crude oil. You know, you've washed off the sprinkles, the water's just water, and now the only thing you can see on everything is the big black crude oil because, uh, you, you know, when you go through your colon, you're just getting, you know, literally quadrillions of bacteria uh, changing in every way the biochemistry of what your feces looks like. So using a, a stool test no longer gives you the information or will never give you the information uh, that you would like to see about the diversity in your small intestine uh, the way that we would you know, need to, to have that information. But uh, we are aware with the use of suppositories, probiotics, antimicrobials, uh, usually safer to start at the bottom and work your way up. Uh, using probiotics from the top down, probiotic foods, at least is going to over the long term, hopefully regulate your GI tract. 
Uh, there's other things like colostrum and uh, what are called resistant starches that can also help, you know, reboot that whole system. But uh, that takes, you know, a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So when we go back to that, um, here's what's under the microscope, you know, in the sense of practical to-dos. And then you step back and ask yourself, what's it going to be like to learn how to make kombucha in my kitchen or to make sure I am... Uh, having a daily amount of my kimchi or I am taking my weird suppositories with, <laughs> uh, you know, probiotics in them and stuff like that. Um, what you're trying to do is to bring as much diversity um, into that environment as you can in terms of species, but also uh, enough strength uh, of, the, of the main kind of governing species. And that, that that's where it gets to be tricky. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, you know, as a clinician, way, way more comfortable getting people to use uh, the suppositories at first, because then we can take the main predatory kind of species that munch on the most uh, fast feeding and breeding species and kind of use each other to rebuild the, the situation without making uh, uh, too many side effects for people. So there's a thing we call a Herxheimer reaction, where if you take something like an antibiotic or even a probiotic and the die-off is serious enough, the die-off could actually damage you. Uh, you know, you could get brain fog, you could get a rash, you could get really bad menstrual cramps, you could get eczema, uh, you could feel like you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, another word for that is like a healing crisis, isn't it? Yeah, that's what you used to call back in the 90s. You get a like, boil on your forehead. It's like, look at my cleanse. It's going so well. I'm having a healing crisis. And that's where I started researching and writing books about <laughs> cleansing because I was like, oh, you don't think that's how it's supposed to work. But right. anyway, so uh, that's another commitment period of time. But um, it just takes you know, a good couple of months for your ecology to really figure itself out. So it's another period of time where you're, you know, I'm just focusing on heal my gut, heal my life. And when you're committed to doing something that's going to require that kind of commitment and patience, um, you kind of become that person, hmm. you know, more and more, which is, you know, I'd really like that big gulp and that bag of sugary, whatever thing that people eat. Um, but I know that if I do that, I'm going to totally throw my microbiome off or, you know, it'd be nice to have that extra bottle of homemade wine with my new bocce friends in the park. (laughs) Uh, but alcohol is an antibiotic. So if I take too much alcohol, I'm going to screw up my microbiome and I have to go back to step one and, and all of that. So again, with the heal your gut, heal your life thing, you're actually having to just be very, very mindful and patient. Right. And interestingly, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I I was going to say that, um, what you talked about there about, you know, deciding to choose to eat, uh, you know, drink a pop or a soda, depending on where you're listening to this program, <laughs> uh, you know, it, deciding to have that in a bag of chips and how detrimental that can be to your gut. That's a brain thing that mm-hmm. actually says, I want to eat that. And yet I know the experience of uh, being, um, having something in the, the cupboard talk to me and saying, eat me and uh, being able to walk by that cupboard and open it up and go, Oh, hey, how are you guys doing in there? You guys must be lonely <laughs> because I don't feel, I don't have that sort of compulsion to want to eat that stuff anymore because whatever it is that was in me, like as much as I like to think I'm the one driving the show here, me, the guy talking right now, it's not, <laughs> it's everything between my nipples and my belly button. I'm sure yep. that actually is driving this car or this vehicle around and telling me what to do because I've had the experience of both and the one where uh, my gut tells me what to do um, invariably led me around you know through roads that were pothole laden and dead ends and 
explosions and <laughs> tanks, <laughs> you know, really, really bad part of towns, um, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, when you talk about heal your gut, heal your life, um, it's amazing. You know, I'm going to get off my soapbox here in a second, but just let me say this. It's amazing to say how, for me, uh, cleaning up my digestion, cleaning up uh, how my guts work and how they can be happy working together and how um, uh, it's almost like it's really boring down there now. It's kind of like I don't really have anything to pay attention to anymore. It's kind of like I can go to a bocce ball tournament and I can eat this stuff and um, I know that's not the best food and I know that I'm probably paying for it in some way today and probably tomorrow and for the rest of the week, but I am not flat out dead because of it. Um, and I'm able to enjoy the, uh, the social aspect of that meal. The, the fact that I was actually able to, you know, kibitz with a bunch of these old Italian guys and have a lot of fun was infinitely more healing than the, um, uh, the pasta, which was really overdone and kind of a little bit too salty, but I was still, you know, it was a good meal, right? <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Like the, 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 the sort of, um, joie de vivre that you talked about, you know, the, 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 the spice that I have for life, um, is kind of, uh, it's no longer, no longer located, um, or being driven by my stomach as much as it is being driven by my heart, if I can say that. Well, I, I would agree with you, but uh, at the same time, I would also say if we were to dig in with our microscope, when you're looking at repairing the microbiome, you know, what you're actually effectively doing more than anything is improving your body's ability to generate neurotransmitters. And that affects everything in the way that I feel, right? Yeah. If 98% of your serotonin, and I think that that's one of the numbers that's been thrown around between 93, 95, 98. So if that much of your serotonin is made by the bacteria in your gut and you've got the best you know, gut bugs going, you're going to have the best mood going. And then there's, uh, melatonin, obviously going to help you with sleep, you know, dopamine, other things, GABA. I mean, most of them are, uh, transposed to the more, um, potent, you know, inside the brain neurotransmitters, just as they go through the blood brain barrier, unless they're generated actually in the base of the brain directly. But, um, it's just, I think for all of us to be able to have that little sort of tongue-in-cheek hee-hee-hee moment of like, oh my God, if I just take care of my gut bugs, my brain is going to have all of the things that it needs mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of mood and sleep and memory and focus. Um, of course, you're going to see other changes like, you know, your acne would clear up and, you know, all kinds of other things. Your liver is suddenly going to be much happier because all that, you know, dead bug parts floating through your bloodstream, you know, oh, there's an arm, there's an elbow. Oh, no, that's Larry. He was one of our friends. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but that all still go basically flushing through your liver along with all of the, you know, gut, the bug poo and and all that. And that's just your general bit of dysbiosis. Not a, That's not even a serious situation. That's just, you know, somebody who eats too much popcorn and Pop-Tarts and, you know, pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think that um, how my gut has changed in my lifetime and how um how much more fun things are you know and obviously if i'm not racked over in pain from a gallbladder attack mm. uh, which was a very regular occurrence in my life and i still have it and i'm going to keep the damn thing thank you um you know like to to to, to be able to uh, successfully navigate uh, a way of living where that doesn't bother me anymore it's such a huge relief. And it's almost like I got my, th you know, my thumb on my nose. And I'm like, nee, 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 nee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, ha, ha, I did it. And so sometimes I have that sort of, you know, almost spiteful, uh, 
you know, flippant attitude towards it. And other times it doesn't even occur to me. It doesn't even phase me. I mean, a huge plate of pasta should be, by all means, something that would knock me on my butt. Because um, the way things used to work, mm-hmm. that's not the way they work anymore. Yeah, and that's the, I mean, as we go back to kind of the the details, I mean, that is heal your gut, heal your life. Because uh, once it's all <clears> working perfectly fine, you're going to feel the way most people who are healthy feel day-to-day walking around. The, th- the tricky part is, you know, obviously with yourself or people who've got similar things going on, you can only have that pasta dish once in a while. If you had one every day for four days in a row, yeah. then then things would start to get messy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I was to do that more than once, um, I mean, as it is, I really questioned eating that much food yesterday. So there was the volume of food. Obviously, I could have chose to have maybe just a taste of it, but you know, when in Rome, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eat like the Romans, right? Or when in actually when in playing bocce and trail, then you eat like the, the the rest of the guys there. So because if I was to do that two or three da- times a week, you know, uh, there would be this. You you hear this echo on the microphone. It'd be this because mm-hmm, it would be the fog inside my head, right? <laughs> right? It would be totally going off like crazy. I wouldn't be able to think. I wouldn't be able to function. Yep. Right. So. Um, the idea of, of, uh, uh, heal your gut, heal your life. Um, you know, we're talking a little bit about the mechanics around bugs, uh, and, you know, chewing your food and, 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 you know, those, those sort of everyday things to sort of look at. But I think there's really something uh, bigger here that, uh, needs to be said is that, um, you know, stomach digestion, uh, life force, whatever it is that, that, that goes on down there, um, and I'm speaking personally. You tell me if, if this is uh, your, your, your sort of medical uh, approval on this idea or not. But um, if I didn't have as much of uh, that there, I wouldn't be as having as much fun in my life. I wouldn't be as funny as I am. I wouldn't be doing as many creative things as I'm doing. I know it. I absolutely know it to be true for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, pretty, pretty amazing what happens for people. So, uh, good to know that our friendly bugs, if we keep them, uh, fed properly and, you know, their populations more or less in our favor, then our memory, our moods, our sleep and other things are going to be much better. Uh, I think the best resource for that, uh, it's called the GAPS diet or gut and psychology diet. It's basically a paleo version of a diet that's focusing on neurotransmitter health. So it's just, you know, that one step closer or more accurate to that kind of uh, particular endeavor and gaps is g-a-p-s yep right? gut and psychology yep yeah great great idea wow mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> missed the vote on that one but anyway so the next thing we usually get into with people around gut health is looking at uh, intestinal permeability which basically means <laughs> certain molecules that are supposed to stay in stay inside this tube of your gut squeak their way through the, the tube and end up in your lymphatic system causing your immune system to be all kinds of punky uh, can get into your bloodstream, go right through your liver, and literally you're crapping into your blood. So yuck. Um, which yeah. can get into your brain. Yuck. <laughs> Double yuck. <laughs> yuck. Who said that? What? <laughs> anyway, you know. So um, for a lot of people, that's I think the biggest um, biggest rite of passage in the world is to sit there and look at either a lab test or I mean, there's ways you can confirm that without an actual lab test, but. Um, you know, you're sitting there looking at the reality that you actually have a damaged enough or something in your immune system has damaged your GI tract enough that the contents of your bowel are just seeping into your immune system, seeping into your blood supply. Mm-hmm. And that obviously that's triggering 
the most aggressive components of whatever medical condition you're dealing with. And I mean that across the board, whatever. I mean, if you're, if you're pooping into your blood, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> really yeah. bad. <laughs> that's, so it's, let me just get to the straight. You're saying that uh, when that happens, that just turns up the volume on whatever the biggest problem is that you're experiencing. Yeah, I think it's one thing to be secreting um, what would be called um, uh, interleukins, cytokines, uh, other uh, immune system mediating uh, cells or informational cells. Like when they're floating around, your body's like, oh, I guess we should start producing some hay fever and you know, maybe we're going to react more to the histamines in our leftover soup and our glass of, you know, made red wine or whatever um, because the, the immune system's more uh, wound up in a way. But when you actually have real like tissue breakdown in the GI tract and you're actually seeing, you know, food particles, you know, bacteria, broken up pieces of bacteria and anything else that's in your gut just falling into the your immune system. Uh, the way your immune system reacts is profoundly differently. Now, this is one of those touchy subjects that, well, I'm going to say it, vaccinations. Hmm. Echo, echo. <laughs> Waiting for the big booted guys to kick down the door and come in here to get us. But the weird thing about vaccinations is that we're taking a pathogen and moving it through um, the first three or four lines of defense that almost every other pathogen would naturally have to go through to get into your blood supply, right? And that's why vaccinations can cause autism or kill you. It isn't just because of all the weird crap they put in the vaccinations, which I'm still waiting for someone to explain why they need mercury. But anyway, um, just like how a vaccination goes from, you know, inside of a little vial to directly inside your blood supply and your immune system. If you have a leaky gut, the immune reactive particles are going instead of frontline sort of sequence by sequence to inform your immune system of this pathogen. They just end up right in your blood stream, you know, same as a vaccination, causing a much more overt and much more intense reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Chinese medicine, we usually term this the uh, it's called a fuxia or a latent or hidden pathogen, like something that's just swimming around. And, uh, you know, you could stub your toe and maybe get a fever or, you know, whatever, and some uh, random accumulation of specific triggers, and then kaboom, you've got lupus or something, right? So it's giving giving ourselves the awareness that the ground of, of your health is just as important, obviously, as to whether or not you are pooping into your blood, because... You know, if you've been a really robust, healthy person all of your life and recently you're drinking a lot of homemade wine and overeating pasta or something. <laughs> okay, so I didn't need my imagination to come up with that one. But, uh, you know, obviously that damage is uh, going to eventually change your immune system and eventually put holes in your tummy. Mm-hmm. And it's that combination of, you know, how aggressive or how weak or how damaged your immune system is and then the introduction of, a you know, a porous bowel membrane crapping into your blood. So, I mean, there's a thousand different ways that could look. But again, when we go back from the, I guess, the microscope to the telescope or the more personal thing, when when people face that and go, oh, my God, like I've, I've actually damaged myself this much and my symptoms are due to the fact that my immune system is this freaked out already. And usually people at this point are dealing with a complex chronic diagnosis, especially an autoimmune diagnosis, which, you know, you talk to most people, uh, the lab coat wielding kind of pharmaceutical people we get to work with. And they're just going to say, well, you know, take these drugs and or wait until you're sicker so we know exactly what's going on. And then it'll be take these drugs and or maybe we'll chop something out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're lucky to have that at that stage of uh, the progression of any illness. But 
more importantly, obviously, any of us, no matter when we figure out what's going on, it's what we decide to do about it. But more, more, more importantly than the what, I think that's getting, it's pretty established in, in um, medical theory, I guess, is this is how you treat a, a leaky gut. This is what works. So it's not like some big mystery to solve, but it is four to six months of, okay, I get to be meditating person and drinking lots of water person and taking lots of supplements, um, you know, and then it's 85% chance within a few months, you're going to feel so much better. It's also a chance within, you know, a few months, you may find yourself going, I think I have maybe a pathogenic biofilm because I'm not getting better. I think I've got way, way more complex damage to my immune system because I'm not getting better. And some people, it takes two years to get that, especially if they've triggered things like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes it takes longer uh, for people just because they haven't identified and focused in enough on other what we call hidden stressors. So say you have a mildly inflamed liver because you have a mild amount of, you know, hep C or hep, you know, B or maybe herpes. And it's just kept, you know, this little kind of swampy mess brewing. So again, when people are faced with, okay, I have this, you know, few months to commit to and I have to do that no matter what. And it might be two years. And even during that two years, I might find myself dealing with, you know, SIBO, small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth, uh, or something else. And again, the mechanics of what to do, especially in functional medicine, uh, pretty well established, you know, so it's not a mystery of what to do. The hard part is to be the one doing it and to not feel like you're being punished or alienated or... You know, and the hard part for a lot of people is you go on a protocol to fix this and your kids or your, your spouse or, you know, somebody is undermining your momentum and confidence because they don't like the fact you don't want to drink beer and eat popcorn on Friday night anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is where it starts to get heal your gut is heal your life because if it gets to where, I mean, mostly people I work with, I mean, most of them are already well past leaky gut. Um so most of my conversations are about, okay, we're going to spend at least six months hanging out, working on you. Because again, once you've figured out what to do with your supplements and food, the real thing is who is the one in the kitchen stirring the pot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and do you, do you care, uh, about the quality of your, your state of being enough? When, when you say that, it makes me think of, uh, people that I knew, um, in different lives that I've lived. Uh, focused around the way that I ate, you know, um, the, uh, the guys that I would go to, uh, eat pizza and drink beer with on Friday nights aren't guys that I really have anything to do with anymore, you know? And is that because I'm 20 odd years older than I was when I was in college? Or is it because, uh, actually 25 years, well, whatever, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or is that because of, um, is it, I'm not interested in them or I'm not interested in uh, that kind of food or that level of conversation that we had when we had that kind of food. Like there's a, there's a, a, a maturation a maturity that sort of developed that sort of drew me away from that sort of thing. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about is that, you know, when one takes care of their gut, there's going to be a shift in some regards. Um, there has to be. Yeah. I think the word maturity for me, um, I really like it because we're all aspiring to a confidence within ourselves uh, that we can actually take for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, I know me, I am me enough, I am a communicator, uh, 
you know, good enough at communicating with other humans that I could probably deal with being stuck in an elevator with some stranger, especially if they, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason might be on some kind of racial or social opposite of me, but I'm sure I could get along with pretty much anybody. So, I mean, there's that quality of maturity. I think it comes up with uh, intimacy if you're single looking for people to help you not be single anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's another part of maturity is just getting comfortable with uh, the birthright uh, of that part of the adventure of living, which is, you know, we all know it. you just have to walk up to somebody and be you and say hi and think you're great and want to spend some time together, you know, but... Um, you know, and it's the same thing in the opposite. You know, you're in a environment, uh, say, in your work, and there's a relationship in your workplace that's not comfortable. And it takes the great, intense courage of saying, you know, Bob, just wanted to check in to see if, you know, there's anything between you and I that we should work out. Mm -hmm. And most people are going to say, well, you know, there was that time when you kind of backed into my car and, you know, were kind of offhand about how much it was going to cost. And I've never really got along with you since, blah, blah. But my point is, it's so easy to ask. We right. just ask people. And again, that's what I'm thinking about maturity. The other side of that, though, is that if we qualify our growth um, with respect to lifestyle choices around maturity, which I think is obvious, but it does put out the little shaming barb of immaturity, which is, um, I think, as myself, because I can be a very playful, enthusiastic, weird person, believe it or not. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I behave sometimes very immaturely, but with a great, great sense of wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would just want to say that getting healthy is about maturity, but it isn't always about sort of the stoic, you know, 1950s version of maturity. It can also be kind of the Taoist, immortal, goofy, playful version of maturity, which is, okay, I've, I know myself well enough and I'm confident and comfortable enough within myself to not have to look like it's something I try to do. Because right. I don't think people who are trying to look very mature feel like they're doing very well at the mature thing. That's a very immature thing to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, because they just sort of pull off this false seriousness. And I mean, that's that's another part of Heal Your Gut, Heal Your Life, because uh, there's this thing we call orthorexia, you know, which is kind of like anorexia or all these other kind of compulsive, what we like to call disorders. But orthorexia is the compulsive disorder of doing things that are good for you. It's just that you're so serious about how good and bad things are for you that it's making you sick because mm -hmm. you're that worried about it, whether or not things are good for you. Hmm. So, I mean, I see a lot of people, myself included, like I think one of the biggest rites of passage in the last 25 years for me, having to keep my food and lifestyle and other stuff more or less together, uh, has been that orthorexia dance, which is... You know, if I really get my momentum going, I, I kind of defend it a little bit. Hmm, yeah. You know, and then I realize I'm defending it and I'm being edgy and, you know, a bit of a porcupine with my kid or whatever. And I'm like, oh, right. This isn't about them. This is about me. So they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Well, it's it's a, a very uh, sophisticated uh, dance move to be able to... Um, you know, the relationship that I have with others versus the relationship that I have with myself. And uh, I've been in that place where I've been on yet another soapbox in my life, screaming the evils of, you know, don't eat this. It'll do this for you. I read it on the internet. It's true. You know, and trying to shove that down everyone's throat uh, within <laughs> arm's reach. And that arm is also connected to a mouse on Facebook. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's like uh, broadcasting to the world this, this, uh, this pill uh, that I know is the right pill to be taking. Um, whereas, you know, 
I've come to a place where I'm not so much that person anymore. I mean, even doing this podcast for me is something where um, I trust that the conversations that we have are open-ended enough that someone can actually see value in that for themselves without us actually saying, you're wrong because you're eating a plate of pasta and chicken and roasted potatoes with a bunch of bocce playing old Italian guys, right? Like for me to actually talk about that on a health-related podcast, that's that's pretty advanced. <laughs> yeah, right. That's pretty mature, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that also comes from the place of knowing that um, uh, there's some fun in health. There's some uh, lightness to the maturity that I have around how it is that I take care of myself. And I think that's, for me, the <clears throat> sort of the biggest diagnostic check-in with patients is and I don't know, I'm generally a pretty funny person. In our conversations, we tend to track down the, the kind of stay on point thing, but usually I'm pretty goofy and funny. Uh, and I try to do that with my patients on purpose because I want to see how much their wit is actually there. Because mm-hmm. if, they, if they can laugh at the silly things that come up in these kind of conversations, they're going to be fine. You know, because there's there's still... I guess we would call it like a stomach chi thing. There's still a hunger for life. I just want to be, but when I work with other people and I can't make them laugh, that they're the people that I'm the most worried about because mm-hmm. they're, they're just, you know, they're, they've already painted themselves into the corner of their diagnosis. And when they look at the way out of it, instead of feeling like, you know, freedom, yay. They're more like, Oh man, I can't have what now. Right. And, uh, you know, all I can do as a clinician is be playful and stubborn and, and informative and encouraging, but at the same time, I don't know, weird enough that I can help people pop those, you know, bubbles of seriousness that they can get into. And it could be someone who's 24, it could be somebody who's 74. There's, it's not like there's some special population of people who just fall into the grumpy, serious crowd. You know, it could just be anybody for any reason. And I think that's, you know, that's the invitation people create for themselves. I need to look at myself through these eyes before I can put down these, you know, dark colored glasses. Yeah, and I, I think it needs to be said to be so uh, mindful around um, how it is one's guts are working or not doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a Marx brother. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to be, you know, a stand-up comedian by any means. Um you know, I, I've known different people um, throughout my lifetime who have a very um, serious attitude towards their health, but they're also the most um, curious people about life. You know, they're not grumpy about it. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not like looking at their um, sparsely laid out uh, kitchen cupboards and um, the select few things that they can eat and um, uh, complaining about it. Um, they're actually in a kind of a zen-like state. They know that they can eat certain foods. There's certain foods that they can't eat. They, can't eat. Um, they can go outside and they'll talk to the flowers in their garden or they'll uh, paint a picture or something. Um, I'm thinking of a woman that I knew uh, when I was living in Victoria who was uh, outwardly very stoic and would never crack a joke, uh, but she was always smiling. You know, she was always happy with life and how um, her experience of it was because she had this sort of curiosity about the shape of things, the color of things and, and that sort of stuff. It wasn't necessarily like, hey, buddy, really? want to hear a joke? You know, it wasn't that kind of goofiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think having uh, a good relationship with yourself and your gut uh, presents itself in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and there's just one last little thing to to bring into the conversation uh, just because that's become such a great opportunity for people 
uh, although it's not not something that's very easy to establish, but uh, we call it basically vagal nerve atrophy or vagus nerve atrophy, where uh, the biochemistry of what's going on in your gut uh, will eventually cause enough literally like fumes going up a chimney because 80% of the travel in the vagus nerve is from your gut up to your brain. Only 20% is from your brain down, which is, um, that's the only nerve that's like that. And we still don't actually know exactly what goes up the nerve in the sense of, um, how many of the neurotransmitters that are formed in your gut are actually being, you know, shunted up that nerve into your brain or signal, uh, Another way to look at it is the upregulation of the neurotransmitters in your gut can signal the vagus nerve to signal your brain to produce more or less neurotransmitters based on what's in your gut. So it's this really intimate connection. Um, the vagus nerve in the sense of what goes on from the brain down is mostly you've got to do with peristalsis, right? And the stimulation uh, between all the other organs. So it's, it's like this the kind of the guiding playbook of digestion. So peristalsis is... The smooth muscle waves of contraction that mobilize your food through your tummy. It's the thing that allows you to swallow your food. Yep, and swallow and poop and move stuff. And Yeah, it's the stuff that keeps moving in the downward direction yep. out your body. Usually. Um, but we do see, you know, something like gastroparesis where a person loses peristalsis, which is terrible because now all your food is just sitting there with no traction. Right. Which can make you very sick. Um, so when it comes to, you know, heal your gut, heal your life... Sometimes you end up finding yourself in these situations where the actual gut-brain axis, the actual physical neurological connection, uh, is actually damaged enough that, again, you're going to be spending a couple of years not only eating really well and taking all your supplements and doing all the things that you need to to be in right relationship with that whole process, whatever that might mean, Um but you're also going to have to do all these weird exercises to try and reinstigate the proper tone of your vagus nerve, which some of those exercises are a bit weird. <laughs> you know, like gagging on chopsticks and gargling water in your shower because you want to gargle so forcefully that you're going to be spraying water all over the place. Or I guess this time of year we make the joke of gargling uh, in your garden to water your vegetables. But Wow. And on and on and on. There's like at least 30 different exercises for that nerve. But again, I'm just trying to bring the image uh, for the listener to the patience and compassion and poise and uh, gumption of going, oh man, turns out I took too many antibiotics and then I took a PPI, you know, to get rid of that GERD. And then I you know, took this other thing for this other thing. And now I got, you know, you know, leaky guts and vagus nerve atrophy and, you know, maybe some SIBO to boot. And I get to spend the next couple of years, you know, being the person in my social group who's focused on a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, and I have to ask this just to be clear. Vegas is VA? Uh, V-A-G-U-S or V-A-G-U-L. It's like, you want to say vagal or vagus. Right. I'm just picturing people punching into their iPhones right now. Right. V-E-G-A-S. <laughs> yeah. I think I used to have a car called the Vegas. <laughs> All right. Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, that, I mean, that, that's, that's the essence of the conversation is um, get your hands on the, the mechanics, you know, get, get your uh, protocols going so you feel confident about what you're doing. And then focus on who's doing it and how great that's going to be. Uh, as a person just moving ahead in your life, you know, with the details you need and eventually with the confidence you're going to get from it. Mm -hmm. Well, I almost think it should be heal your gut, heal your life, live a life, have fun. Uh, you live happily ever after the end. 
(laughs) (laughs) Or, but that probably wouldn't fit on the. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. (laughs) No, no, sure. Uh, All very interesting stuff. Was it? Was was there um, any sort of last little uh, bits of direction that you wanted to give people of something they could? uh, I don't know, something they could Google or something they could read. No, but what comes to mind um, because of the sort of subtle message that is coming through, I hope. If you want to love yourself, the fastest way to do that is to take yourself out on some dates Hmm. and do the things for yourself that anyone who really cares for you would want to do for you because that's what you do when you take care of someone. You know, and I, I literally ask my patients, go out for dinner, give yourself exactly what you need and try and feel about you the way you felt about the last person you had a crush on. Hmm. Because if you can't have a crush on yourself, you sure it's crap can't fall in love with yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a a pretty big starting point for um, healing. Yeah. So next time make yourself a really good meal, sit down and have a crush on the, you know, badass you that just took care of you. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's that's what it's going to take. Huh. That's pretty cool. Nice. Uh, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. Uh, This has been episode 33 of Fusion Health Radio. Heal your gut, heal your life. I'm Anthony Sana. Dr. Michael Smith. And uh, you can share this with your friends. Uh, Actually, we'd love you to share it with your friends. Um, Thanks in advance for doing that, by the way. Um, Share it with them. And if um, you want to leave us some comments or uh, questions or concerns, uh, you can do that uh, through Facebook. Uh, facebook.com slash fusion health radio. Um, anything else that you want to add to that? I'm good. You're good. Yeah. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with this. Um, this, you know what, this has been, I think one of the looser podcasts that we've done just in terms of conversation, I should drink homemade Italian wine more often. Uh, thank, thank. I, I will just not join you in that, but yeah, have fun. <laughs> well, you, the bocce ball is fun. Yeah, bet. Yeah, you can watch. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Again, Fusion Health Radio, share it with your friends. Uh, follow us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, all those sort of good, happy places to get a podcast. And um, and the really cool kids at the back of the bus write and review things because they're so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Yep. See you guys later. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.